Well, we're in this series about Jesus. What better topic could you choose than to talk about Jesus? Because nobody ever lived a life the way that Jesus lived his life. There's nobody that changed the world. There's nobody that made a difference before nor since like Jesus did. And I hope that you've been enjoying this series. What I've been asking God to do at the beginning of it and what I've continued to ask God to do is that for those who are part of our church family who do not know Jesus yet, that during this series, there would be those who would come to know Christ. Now, I cannot go into detail because I do not want to take people's personal stories and make them public, but I'm just telling you, last week, we were talking about Jesus. We were talking about this role that he fulfills as the, uh, as the, uh, the wonder of the Savior we called, just amazing things that Jesus does. And I'm just telling you, friends, uh, among us, there was God doing some amazing things last week, and I believe that's going to happen today. And when we started this series three weeks ago, this being the fourth week, we talked about we talked about the teaching of Jesus. Well, how did he teach, and why did he teach, and who did he teach, and what did he teach, and, and when did he teach? And we talked about how that, you know, Jesus took these teaching moments, and he would pour into people's lives. That was week one. Then uh, week two, a couple of weeks ago, the worth of a person, how that people matter so much to God, and how that Jesus wanted to display this in such a profound way that there's this event that he's a part of in Luke chapter 14. It's actually a dinner event, and in that dinner event, if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, by the way, if you missed a week, you can go online and you can get caught up with something that you may have previously missed, but they're in this dinner that Jesus had been invited into, and there's this sick guy, and if you remember from that account, that chapter, Jesus looks around and he said, hey, I know it's the Sabbath, fellas, but you got any problem if I heal this guy? And they're all silent because they don't want Jesus to do it because they so protected a day. In fact, this is what Jesus accused them of. Jesus said, you care so much more about special days and you care about your animals than you do about human beings that have been made in the image of God. So he just sort of shuts that down and he heals the guy anyhow. And in that same event, Jesus talks about their seating chart and how it was all wrong. And he gives this idea, this spectacular banquet that is held. And then people give all of these excuses as to why that they cannot come. And Jesus looked at his followers and said, you go out and you, you compel them. You go out into the highways and byways. You compel them to come in because there ought to be people gathered around the table of the king. And so that was what we talked about in week two. Then last week, the wonder of a Savior, how that Jesus is God's replica to the world. Jesus made this outrageous statement, if you have seen me, then you have seen the Father. And that is so true. And how that Jesus was and is the sustainer of all things in heaven and on earth. And then we wrap that up by talking about Jesus as the leader of the church and overseer of the church. Now this morning, again, I've, just, I've been praying for those who did not know Christ that would come to know Christ, and we've seen that happen. But for those of us who do know Jesus and have known Jesus, that during this series, that we would fall in love with Jesus all over again. And I think this aspect of Jesus's life that we're going to talk about today, if you've just felt a little cold, if you felt a little indifferent about your relationship with God, and maybe you've just been taking, quite honestly, Jesus for granted, that here this morning, you just fall in love with him all over again when you see the kind of person, what was so embedded in his character and his nature, because this morning we're going to take a close look at Jesus' compassion. Now, before we do that, I do need to interject something before we dive into this, because it's important for all of us to realize that Jesus is not compassionate because Jesus is a lightweight. You see, a lot of people have this image of Jesus that he just really, you know, he was just 
you know, just sort of apathetic in some areas and just, you know, he was just nice and sweet, kind all the time, sort of a picture of Jesus skipping through the fields and offering flimsy expressions to entertain the masses. And, and you know, he didn't want to ruffle. Some people think this. He really didn't want to ruffle anybody's face. He just wanted to be like, hey, peace, man, everybody, all right, good. But that is not who Jesus was. In fact, this is not on the screen, but just to show you that Jesus is not compassionate because he is a lightweight, here's a verse that I want to just read to you. This is what Jesus said to a group of people. He looks at them, he gains their attention, and he says, listen to what he says. He said, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Now, how many of you know that you do not use phrases like that when you're running for class president? (laughs) Jesus was not trying to make a lot of friends here. He was speaking the truth. He was saying, here's the reality. You're snakes. You're a brood of vipers. How do you think you're going to escape being condemned to hell? Really, who do you think you're fooling? You say one thing, you live a life, and he gained their attention. You've heard me mention this before. Jesus is not, again, compassionate because he's lightweight. We know the occasion. Many of you have read the story how one day he walked into the father's house. He goes into the temple. He goes into church. And there are people gathered therein who are making a mockery of God's house. And what does Jesus do? Listen, this is, this, is not, this is not lightweight. This is, I mean, he's flipping over tables. You think about it. He is so mad. When is the last time you started just walking around your house and you just start flipping tables over? I do not recommend that, by the way. But this is what Jesus did. He's just, he's flipping over tables and he's driving people out of the temple and he actually takes a whip. This is not running for class president Jesus. He's got a whip and he's forcing them out of the temple. This place is a house of prayer, but you've made it something completely different. It's amazing when you think about it. There was that part of Jesus. He was not compassionate because he was lightweight, but he could be strong, and he was strong. And he's very determined because he was on assignment from his Father in heaven. He had a mission to fulfill. But then we see the side of Jesus that most definitely uh, was so characteristic of his life, and that is that he caused people to feel comfortable about approaching him. Children ran to him and sat in his lap. Uh, between services after the 930 and just prior to this one, and it wasn't very pleasant. It wasn't very pleasant. I had to kiss my grandbabies goodbye. Kenley's three. She turned three in September. Landry will be one in December, and so they've been down for about nine days now, and so them and Nicole, our daughter-in-law, fly back this afternoon, back home to Illinois, where they were transferred to recently. Man, I'm just, you know, just hugging them and kissing them and can't wait to see them again. And, and Kenley, you know, because we've been a part of her life from day one up until they moved in July. I wasn't like getting reacquainted with, with uh, Kenley. I mean, that was picked right up. But Landry, that was a different story. You know, for almost half of her little life, she's been in Illinois while we've been here. So it was like initially it's like looking at us, like trying to figure us out. But then the more that we've held her and loved her and kissed her, and I've played patty cake a hundred million times, you know, to entertain her, itsy bitsy spider. So we've become very, very good friends now. And so she's comfortable. And kids were comfortable with Jesus. They had run to Jesus. And how many of you know that kids especially are great discerners of people's level of receptivity toward them? And Jesus reached out to the kids, and the kids loved Jesus, and Jesus loved the kids, and they had no no uh, hesitancy whatsoever about running to them. And Jesus would put them in his lap. 
So people were comfortable approaching Jesus. Women felt accepted by him in a culture that had kept them oppressed. Uh, Jesus was inclusive. This was not like an all-boys club, and there are some that are in and some that are out. He never stiff-armed people, not for any reason. He never put people off. In fact, when I read the Bible, do you know, this is what I see. Maybe you've seen something else, but this is what I've found. It's the only people that really agitated Jesus and made Jesus mad is religious people. Religious people. And man, I, I don't mind telling you, religious people make me a little mad too. Because they're sanctimonious and they're better than everybody else and the rest of the world. And, you know, they're, they're like perfect. They're like Jesus Jr. And everybody, you know, they keep. And, man, that's just really because Jesus said, you know what? You're like whitewashed tombs. Again, he's, he's not running for class president. You're like whitewashed tombs. You're, you know, you look so good, so presentable on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. Something about you that is not clicking. And it was religious people. So I've always said about our church, you know what I love about our church? I love it. I brag about it to all of my friends. This is what I love. One of the things I love most about our church is that you guys have not figured out how to become religious. And I hope you won't. I hope you love Jesus passionately and follow him wholeheartedly. But I don't want you to become religious where it's like the pretension to be one thing. I want you to have an abiding relationship with Jesus. And so Jesus was all-inclusive. He never stiff-armed people because of their race or their gender or their religion. He challenged people to love their neighbors. And then he said, like, these really highly ridiculous things like, you know what, I want you to love your neighbors, and I want you to love your friends, and I want you to love your families, but that's not all. I want you to even love your enemies. What? Our enemies? Are you kidding me? He just said, yeah, I want you to love them too. And I want you to be radically devoted to God. And I want you to care for the poor and those who are marginalized and those who have needs in their life. I want you to care for them. And Jesus said these really crazy things like, and when you care for them, when you love them, when you reach out to them, when you take them a cup of cold water in my name, guess what you're doing? You're also serving me. You're serving me. So there's a couple of questions that begs to be answered this morning. And in the time that we have remaining, I want to do that. Question number one is, was Jesus really compassionate? I can stand here and say that to you, but if I'm going to declare it, then rightfully so. Biblically, I need to be able to back that up. Was Jesus really compassionate? But there's a second question that we're really going to have to answer before we leave here today. And that is, what kind of compassion responsibilities have been conferred upon you and me? Do we just look at Jesus in admiration and say, oh, man, at Jesus, he was compassionate. Oh, that's good to know. See you later. I don't have to do anything but take care of myself, be consumed by my needs, live in my own little world, protect what I've got. So are there any compassion responsibilities that have been placed upon his followers? Now, here are some realities that everyone should realize concerning Jesus. And I want you to listen very, very carefully to this. I want to have everybody's complete attention, no distractions, because I want you to hear this today. Jesus was constantly healing people who were sick. It's what he did. It's who he was. He, he reached out to those who were agonized because of their plight of their disease or diseases. He was always busy about not just healing the sick and touching those who had disease. He was also delivering those who were demon-possessed. He heals on an occasion a paralyzed man who had been brought to Jesus by some of his caring friends, and they are so adamant that they get him to Jesus so that Jesus can touch their friend and heal him that, that they actually became destructive of, of another person's house. They just said, 
roof? Oh, roof can be repaired. And they opened the roof up, hole in the house, so they could lower this guy down. And Jesus touched him. And Jesus healed him. I want you to look at this verse up on the screen, Matthew 9, 36. It says this, that when Jesus saw the crowds, and it seems like Jesus was always surrounded by lots of people, and for obvious reasons, that Jesus had what? What did Jesus? Say it with me. I want you to be fully dialed in. He had what? Compassion on them because they were confused and they were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. On his way one day, he's going to raise a little girl. He's going to bring this dead girl back to life. But but while he is making his way in that direction, he is met by a woman who had been plagued with this long-term physical abnormality that she had actually spent all all of her money. She was financially broke. She was utterly hopeless. She went from place to place, person to person, trying to do everything that she possibly could to get some relief from her condition. Out of such massive desperation, she pushes rudely through a crowd and she's like doing whatever she can to get to Jesus. She pushes through the crowd. She makes her way. She reaches out to Jesus. And I love what it says. It says that instantly this woman is healed by the power of Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, I felt power go out from me. She's instantly healed. She is eternally grateful. And that's just who Jesus is. It's what Jesus does. On another occasion, he heals two blind men and this guy who could not speak This is out of Matthew 20, and you're going to see these three verses up on the screen. Take a look at them with me. Matthew 20, it said, Jesus stopped and he called them, them being the two blind guys. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, here's what we need. We want and we need our sight. Look at verse 34. Read these first three verses with me, these first three words, rather. And Jesus had compassion on them. And he touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight, and they followed him. Jesus one day feeds 5,000 people, and that's not even counting the women and the children, 5,000 men. And there was obviously women and children with them. A little while later, he feeds another 4,000. I want you to take a look at this statement by Patrick Morley. It's up here on the screen. Look at it with me. Religious people, secular people, and broken people. Jesus went to rich and poor. He went to weak and strong, religious and pagan. Jesus hung out with people who had prostituted their bodies as well as those who had prostituted their souls. On another occasion, which I think is one of the most moving, moving situations in all of the Bible, Jesus is actually making his way. He's traveling. He's coming into an area. He's about to come into the town gate. You're about to see this. And on this occasion, Jesus raises from the dead the only son of a heartbroken widow. All means, and we talked about this recently when we were talking about Ruth, how that, you know, she just, she didn't have her husband. She had lost her two sons. Now, see if you do not see a similar parallel right here. Luke 7, 11 through 13, soon afterward, uh, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples, and here it is again, a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, so he's coming in as they're going out. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. So just like Ruth, she has no husband, she has no sons. So really, the economic reality of her life is disastrous in every way because nobody is going to be able to care for her. There are not any kind of governmental program set up to be able to help her. She's going to be on her own. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, read these six words with me, read these words, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. 
don't cry. His heart went out to her. Have you ever said that to somebody? You just, they're just heartbroken and you're like, you know, you're not trying to shut down their emotions. It's just like, please don't cry. Everything's going to be okay. I did a couple of funeral services this week, one on Thursday, one on Friday. And uh, one of those especially, I mentioned to them, I read a verse that I'd come across some time ago. I've read the Bible so many times before, never saw this verse. But uh, this verse says, and that God bottles up every one of our tears in a bottle. And I was essentially saying to them, it's all right to cry. People come along and they'll tell you, you know, don't cry. You shouldn't cry. You know, buck up, be strong. But the reality is, and I just envision, it's like, and I know it's not exactly this way, but I just envision like these major shelves up in heaven. And God could walk over at any moment and pick up a bottle that has your name on it and look at it and see your tears because that's how much he cares about people. That he sees every, and Jesus is there, and he's like, oh, man, this mom, she is heartbroken. Don't cry. And Jesus brings back to life this deceased son. And what is one of the most obvious, I think, acts of compassion, Jesus does more than just heal a leper. Now, that's a big deal, but this is actually a big deal that people often do not see. They say, Jesus healed a leper, but they never really fully pay attention to the next portion of what we find. Jesus not only heals this leper, but Jesus actually touches him. And that's a major, major big deal, and I'll tell you why. Now, how many of you know, and I'm looking right here, how many of you are still awake? Wave at me if you're still awake. Remember, remember, if you ever see somebody dozing in this service, you have full permission to smack them. I mean, bring them right back to life. And you say, well, they're really out. Well, that's fine. You bring them really out of it. And you just smack them in Jesus' name. And you tell them, but you got to do it in Jesus' name. So I'm just, how many of you, how many of you are with me? All right, look at somebody near you. Look, okay, if they seem to be dozing, you just go ahead and smack. Hey, listen, go ahead and smack them for the fun of it. You don't, let's make a free pass. Don't even use Jesus's name. Just smack them just because you want to. All right, so just checking, just checking. So here's this occasion and uh, where Jesus sees this leper. Now, how many of you know when you're Jesus, you can heal people from a distance? You don't even have to get close. You can say to a leper from across the way, be healed, and that leper would be healed. But there was something about the compassion of Jesus that Jesus not only wanted to heal this leper, which he does, but he also reaches out and touches him. Now, why would he do that? Why is that such a big deal? And I'll tell you why it's a big deal. Because in Jesus' day, it really was, uh, with leprosy, this mega, mega stigma attached to it. You see, if you were a leper, your life would dramatically be altered Because once you receive such a grim diagnosis, you would immediately pack up your belongings and you'd have to leave. Man, when somebody looked at you and they said, I hate to tell you this, you've got leprosy. That was a death sentence. You know, there are are a lot of us, and we've got a lot, by the way, a lot of uh, people who attend our church that are in the medical community, doctors and nurses and such, and... and, uh, and there's one reason, and I know you, you physicians already know this, but there's something, about, there's something about coming to see you that sometimes makes us squeamish because we, we know that probably at some point in our time with you, you're going to tell us that there's something that we are doing that we should not be doing or there's something that we ought to be doing that we are not doing that we should. And we, and we 
we maybe we don't even want to hear that. And, and from time to time, and I do it not in a condescending way or a negative way or a critical way, but sometimes when I'm encouraging my friends to like eat more healthy and you know get more physically in, in tune with who God created them to be and, and such as that, uh, you know, a lot of times I will remind them this is temporary. Hey, you, you're not going to have to do all of that in, in across eternity, but you do need to do it now. You do need to take care of yourself now. I said, because, hey, listen, do it now. It's just temporary. I said, because this is what I'm convinced of. Listen, this is what I'm convinced of. Once we get to heaven, I don't know how it's all going to play out, but I'm convinced that once we get to heaven, that bluebell ice cream is going to be like really good for us. <laughs> Anybody want to join me in that? And you're going to be like, and it's going to start like in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And you're going to be seated around this great feast. And God's going to say, hey, I'm so glad to have you here. This is great. This is wonderful. You made it. This is great. Bring out the bluebell ice cream. And you pick your flavor and your toppings. And you guys and you gals, God will say, you eat up. This is good for you. It's like that broccoli you had while you were on earth. You eat up. Get your fill. Quit smiling. I mean, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be like, hey, it's like, you guys, gotta, we're going to smile. But when you, uh, when you heard you got leprosy, it was not good. Again, you'd immediately pack up your belongings and you would have to walk away from your house. You'd no longer return to your job. You'd no longer see your spouse and, if your, kids, and, and your kids. And if you did happen to see them, it would be from a long, long way because even if you wanted them to come near you so that you could embrace them. You would not because you would never want this dreaded disease to come upon them. You prepared yourself. Listen now. You prepared yourself the best that you could to never return, and you would live your remaining days, however long that was, outside of the city, not in the city, not among the people, not among your family, not among the friends. You would live outside of the city in abject isolation, and you just knew. You just knew that you would never ever be touched again. Never. I don't know how you feel about this, but I believe there's power in a touch. And, and I, I don't want to make it sound that I'm like this, uh, you know, mega touchy-feely guy, but I believe in the power of touch. I, I really do. It's not going to be uncommon, you know, and if you're not accustomed to this, you know, you may be like, what does he put his hand on my shoulder for? I'm, because I believe in the power of touch. There's so often that if I'm talking to somebody, I may, I may reach out and depending on what the essence of the communication is about, I may put my hand on their shoulder. I may pat a friend on the back. I may give somebody a hug. Why? Because I've been to a place in my life where I'm just like in a low moment or discouraged about something. And there's somebody, and I don't know if they were picking up on that was going on in me, but there was something about the power of the touch when they just reached out and gave me a hug or put their hand on my shoulder, just that sense of being affirmed and cared for. And Jesus was going to make sure that this was going to happen from him for this guy because he knew that once he got this diagnosis, listen, nobody's ever going to put their hand on their shoulder. Nobody's ever going to pat him on the back. They would never know the hug of a family member or friend. So Jesus is not just going to heal him. He's going to touch him. You know, it's so bad for a leper that if you even got in close proximity to them, this is how bad it was. This is why this was so important to Jesus. That if anybody like mistakenly got close to you, they didn't realize you were a leper, you were under obligation to where you would have to, like in a very loud voice, start crying out, unclean, 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 like get back, get back, I'm, I got this disease, you don't want to be near me. How disturbing, how humiliating that would be 
Now, keep all of this in mind as you look at the next three verses. This is out of Mark 1. It says, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him. Look how desperate he is. He got on his knees, and he looked at Jesus, and he said, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Read these three verses with me, everybody. This is verse 41. Read them with me. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand, and read these next three, and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cured. One Bible scholar has written this, and you will see it on the screen. Take a look at it right up here. He says, accurately so, there was no bypassing of the untouchables, whether physically or morally leprous. Jesus willingly touched people. He just did it. He touched people, especially who were avoided by society, no matter how gruesome or contagious their disease may have been. Jesus touched them because he loved them. And Jesus felt, and you got to know it, when you know this about Jesus, it just makes you want to fall in love with him all the more. He touched them because he, he felt compassion for them. It was more than just about his power. He possessed that quite naturally, but it was because people really mattered to him. Is Jesus really compassionate? Hey, I could have gone on and on. That's just scratching the surface. Was he really compassionate in ways that you can't even dream? But we've got to address this second question in the minutes that we have together, and that is, what about us? I mean, the compassion movement of Jesus has been, that, that train has been moving forward, but where's it going to land now? What's going to happen with us? I mean, are we going to keep sustaining it? Are, are we going to keep moving forward? I mean, what's, what's going to happen? How, how can we carry out this compassion movement that Jesus started some 2,000 years ago? And for us, it begins. For us, it begins by walking closely with Jesus because there's just something about it. When you walk close to Jesus, you're going to closely understand his heart. And the more you see his heart, the more you understand his love and his compassion. And it begins to take root and grow in your heart, in your heart. Stay dialed in with me, all right? Stay right here. Stay right here. Then we find ourselves wanting to follow his example. The more we hear it, the more we see it, the more that we want to follow his example. And as our heart grows bigger, our hands begin to open quicker. Have you ever noticed this? And you've got to know this about yourself naturally. There's something about all of us that our heart has a tendency to shrink. It does. Our heart has this tendency to shrink. And the more that our heart shrinks, the more that we become tight-fisted, more that we just hold on to stuff. But the more that we hang out with Jesus, the more that our heart starts expanding and our heart gets bigger. And it's just a natural reflex. Our heart grows and our hands start opening quicker and we're all the more willing to help. Can I just give you a few examples before we're done? Listen carefully. In the 300s, there was a follower of Jesus by the name of Basil, this great, he later was deemed a saint. He had this idea. He said, well, why don't we do this? Why don't we build a place of love and care for lepers? Lepers don't have any money, but we will raise the money and we will pay for it ourselves. One of the most famous talks, one of the most famous sermons in that day, in that century, was actually by Basil's brother, who was known as Gregory of Nyssa. And in that message, listen to what Gregory said. He says, lepers have been made in the image of God. So let us take care of Christ while there is still time. Because they're made in the image of God. Remember, if you do it for one of the least of these, it's as though Jesus said, you've done it unto me. So let us minister to Christ's needs. Let us give Christ nourishment. Let us clothe Christ. Let us gather Christ in. Let us show Christ honor. By the way, that was the beginning of what came to be known as hospitals. Where did hospitals get their start? Right here. In fact, and I'm reading, I'm reading right out of the Council of Nyssa, verbatim. 
And this is what it says. Wherever there's going to be a major church, there also has to be a hospice. You hear that word before? There has to be a hospice, a place where the sick and the poor can be cared for. Years later, there's a Christ follower by the name of Henry Dunart. And Henry could not handle the sound of soldiers crying out on the battlefields once they had been wounded, nor could he be passive about it. I mean, he had heard it, and it's like it it was grievous to him. It it broke his heart. He had to hear these soldiers. They had been injured. They were not dead. They were injured, and they would cry. And Henry Dernot could not stand that, and he said, I've got to do something about it. So he does not sit on the sidelines. He does not find his place in an easy chair. He devoted his life to helping them in Jesus' name, and this started an organization which came to be known as the Red Cross. And every time you see that little Red Cross, and you've seen it many times, It was birthed out of the heart of someone who would continue to carry out the compassion movement of Jesus. Later, a pastor by the name of Theodore Flidner trains a group of mostly peasant women to nurse the sick. And this inspired a young woman by the name, you heard this name before, Florence Nightingale. Florence Nightingale, to care for the sick. And she gave her life and many others to that end and continued the compassion movement of Jesus. And before Florence Nightingale died, she made this request. This is what she said. She said, I do not want my name to be used to mark my grave. She said, could there just instead be a cross of Jesus on it with my initials? Don't put my name. I'm not looking for recognition. Just put my initials up under the cross of Jesus. You're saying, well, Pastor Jeff, that's like, you know, that's like mega people and that's like really sort of historic kind of people that, but, but what about me? Well, let me, uh, let me give you some insight here. It's no spectacular person, just n- nothing extraordinary about this person at all. A young man by the name of Toby and a writer of a particular book that I read some years ago, actually, tells us a little bit about Toby's story and I'll just read it to you. He said, Toby was the ring bearer at our wedding. He looked like someone out of a Dickens novel, big china blue eyes, white blonde hair, skin the color of alabaster. We promised the flower girl who was twice his age and twice his size a giant piece of wedding cake if she would not let go of his hand throughout the entire ceremony. He said she held on to him the way a drowning man clutches a lifeline. At one point, Toby actually dropped the ring pillow and she would not even relax her grip enough to let him bend down and pick it up. Not long after our wedding, Toby's family moved. And we lost touch. Years later, a new co-worker turned out to be a good friend of Toby's family and told us what our ring bearer had been up to. When Toby was in high school, he wrote an essay on world hunger and ended up winning a two-and-a-half-week study tour in Africa through World Vision. Toby was not only struck by the beauty of Ethiopia, but was also riddled by its rampant poverty. One day during Toby's trip, he was at a World Vision distribution camp, handing out food and supplies and playing with some of the local kids. And Toby and the other World Vision personnel were getting ready to leave. An 11-year-old boy tapped him on the shoulder. The boy stared at Toby's T-shirt. Then he looked down at his own shirt, which was thin and dirty and filled with holes. He looked back up at Toby and shyly asked, Could I have your shirt? Toby was not prepared for that request. His luggage was a long way away, and he would not return to it all day long. This would mean that he would have to go the rest of the day without a shirt in the blistering African sun. There was no time to think about what to do or say. He just backed away from the boy, shrugging his shoulders as he stepped onto the bus. As they drove away, the weight of that one request gripped Toby and would not let him go. He continued to think about it the rest of the day. That night, everyone in the camp talked about their experiences throughout the day, but not Toby. He was thinking about an 11-year-old boy who just wanted a T-shirt. He, and he kept thinking about what Jesus had said, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. 
Toby waited that night until everyone in the compound went to sleep. Then he went back to his room and he broke down and cried. The memory of that scene haunted him the rest of the trip. Everywhere he went, Toby saw that little boy's face. Even when he returned to his home in Michigan, he was not able to put it out of his mind. He thought about how we people in America, and it's true, have so many t-shirts, we run out of places to put them. So he resolved, Toby did, to do something. He organized a t-shirt drive called Give the Shirt Off Your Back. He started collecting them door to door. He persuaded some 7-Eleven stores to set bins out for collecting the shirts. Local media outlets heard about the story and gave it some airtime. The next thing that Toby knew, it seemed as if everybody in Michigan had heard about it, and he collected. Listen to this. Toby collected over 10,000 t-shirts. Then he was faced with another problem. How do you get two tons of T-shirts from Michigan to Ethiopia? So he called one relief agency after another, telling them his story. He received always the same answer. We'd like to help, but it's too expensive. How expensive was it? Anybody here care to guess? You want to know how much it would cost? Two tons of T-shirts, 10,000 T-shirts from Michigan to Ethiopia. So he called up the United Parcel Service and asked how much it would cost. And he was told, here's how much it will cost you. $65,000. So Toby prayed some more. Okay, God. I love his response. Okay, God, you raised up these shirts. Now, how are you going to get them to where they belong? How are you going to do it, God? How are you going to pull it off? Finally, Toby was put in touch with an outfit called Supporters of Sub-Sahara Africa. They happened to be taking a shipment of supplies to Africa and agreed to take his T-shirts along for the ride. You're going to love this. There was just one hitch. They could only take them to one country. Would it be all right with Toby if they delivered the T-shirts to Ethiopia. Toby does not know exactly where the t-shirts ended up, but he hopes one of them ended up in the hands of a certain boy. I'll never forget that kid, he says. I know it's unlikely he'll get one of the shirts I sent. What are the odds of that? But I can pray because this is what I know, Toby said. God can do anything. What about you? Are you going to keep the compassion movement of Jesus? I mean, it's easy. We take who we are, what we've got, our stuff, our family. We draw a line all the way around it. We just say, here's all of my undivided attention right here. But we cannot keep the compassion movement of Jesus going if that is our mentality, if that is our attitude. So I ask you and I ask me, are you going to keep the compassion movement of Jesus going forward in your generation, my generation? I was in Chick-fil-A this week. So happened. Anybody shocked by that? <laughs> you, you, you have no idea. When I say this, I, you think I'm kidding you. But you have no idea how many talks I've worked on seated at a table in Chick-fil-A. I, I, I don't know if this can be validated or not, but I think it's the smell of the chicken that just inspires great ideas. I can't prove that. But I was sitting at a table. I was sitting there this week working on this talk. And I noticed a, a child was jumping on a bench, just jumping inside of the little playground area, jumping on a bench. And I'm like, oh, man, I, somebody better say something to, to that child. They could, they could get hurt. I mean, it just looked dangerous. It wasn't my child. I'm not going to say anything. I knew that, you know, they had some family there. And I'm like, oh, boy, that just, and I just, I can't help but pay attention out of, out of my peripheral vision somewhat. And all of a sudden, I saw this terrific crash. And I'm like, I'm like oh, my goodness. I think this child is going to be hurt. Little girl. 
And I'm like, but I'm not sure. Maybe it looked worse than it was. And then I said, no, it was as worse as it appeared because I saw that door swing open. And she went running over to her mom. She ran up to her mom. And she just, how many of you know, how, how many of you have seen a kid cry when the, when the child is crying so hard they can't even say anything for a little while? It's just like... Ah, and that's how she was. Those of you who have played football and you've fallen on the ball or you got hit wrong, took the breath out of you, and I've had that happen before, and I'm like, and I don't want to, I feel like crying, but I didn't want to appear to be a sissy, so I'm like, I cried in private. I just, ah. and that's how she was. But then I saw this mom, and oh, man, this is so great. His mom just did his, any mom, I hope, would do, just pull this little girl. Wouldn't let her go, just loved on her, just held on to her. So she had just finally wiped all of her little tears away and went back to the playground area. But something hit me so deeply and so profoundly. I mean, it, it just made me want to weep right there. And, it, you know, it wasn't even weeping because I knew that in a matter of days it would be Sunday and Chick-fil-A would not be open. That is not why I was moved to weep. Because when I saw that little girl, I could not help but think, how many kids, how many kids, you think about this, how many kids have ever been hurt or afraid? And they're like, want to run to somebody. There's nobody to run to. What, what does a kid do? And I just had this image, and it just it was so disturbing to me. Eventually, I just had to say, oh, I, I, just, I didn't want to shake it out of my head too quickly because I wanted it to penetrate my heart. And I'm just, I just had these visuals of kids all over the world and right here in our own nation who are just like, just looking for somebody. And I think about how kids like that who have nobody, how that we could, if we would use the creative imaginations that God has gifted to us, how we could help kids and we could help the marginalized and we could help the sick and the needy all over the world. Maybe there's something that has your attention these days. Maybe there's, a, maybe there's a hurt. Maybe there's a pain. There's an injustice. You see it and you know about it, but to this point, you've never done anything about it, but you'll say, I will, I will, I will. God, this is, this is why. God just simply used me to give you a reminder of something that you were already had feeding into your heart. And you just, I'm going to do something. And you can start in little ways. I mean, you could just start, start in little ways. You don't even have to start, you know, with two tons of T-shirts. If you do that or something like that, that would be amazing, and I'll be so proud to say that you belong to our church. But it's just little things. You get started with little things, and it grows. And you say, like, you know, Saturday morning, you know, there's this Dream Center outreach, and I can go pick up trash. I can go work in yards. I can go distribute food and clothes and paint. I can, I can do those things because when I do those things, I do them as unto Jesus, a cup of cold water in his name. Jesus said, hey, when you've done it for them, you've done it for me. You could do something. How many of you plan to eat at some point today? You just plan, you, you, it is on your agenda to eat at some point today. Could I just see your hand? Why can't you do something small? Just think about it. You've got to pick where you want to eat. But what if you just said, today, I'm going to eat at PDQ. Why? Because there's people in our church that give leadership to a ministry called Take Heart that helps orphan kids in Africa. And if you go to PDQ at some point today and they close at 10 o'clock, here's what would happen. A portion of what you spend, they will donate toward this great ministry. The leaders of that organization were in our last service. And I talked about that. You could just say, God, during during the missions conference that starts next Sunday, break my heart. 
break my heart over something. Let me see a need. Let me see a hurt. Let me hear about an injustice that I can do something about. Because I'm telling you, they're there. And if you ask, God will show you. And when your heart gets big, quite naturally, your hands open. And you want to do something in Jesus' name. Who will keep the compassion movement of Jesus going in our day? Will it be you? Will it? Will it? Let's stand more close. So thank you for this day, God. Thank you for the amazing attentiveness of our great church family. And I know that they've not been here just listen to words and check a box. We want to be changed by the greatest man who has ever changed the world in ways that cannot even be imagined. Help us. Let us see, God, what you see. Let us feel, God, what you feel. And help us to open our hearts and to open our hands and keep your compassion movement going forward in our day. And everybody who agreed and will respond would say, Amen. I love you, everybody. See you right back here next Sunday.